This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 56. If we are all aligned that the most valuable resources that any organization have is people, and if we are all aligned how hard it is to, to attract best people to come partner with your organization and then to retain them, if this is the basic of all the leadership in our organization, then impacting culture is going to be much easier. So if there's this alignment and understanding of the landscape, then we're all rowing in the same direction, right? We're all going into the same direction. And then I would say it's, it's to make an evolution from engagement to experience. How can you shift your leader's mindset from employee engagement to employee experience? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. Today, my guest is Seb Gerard. Seb is the SVP, Chief People Officer at Comet Spirit Health, Colorado, Kansas, and Utah Division. Comet Spirit Health is a mission-based healthcare provider that provides care to nearly one in four Americans and covers 21 states. Seb has 20 years of proven results in overseeing sales, human resources, and recruiting teams in the staffing and healthcare industry. And while he's a proven leader, he's not your typical HR leader. As 15 years into his successful career in operations, he decided to make the transition to his true passion as an HR leader. Seb's also a frequent speaker at HR and healthcare conferences due to his knowledge of the key trends impacting healthcare and his innovative approaches to solve them. And in our conversation today, Seb and I discuss how he made a mid-career transition from operations to HR, the workforce trends that are impacting healthcare organizations, why he believes that increasing productivity through technology is an imperative in the healthcare industry, why asking how does this make someone feel is the key to creating great employee experiences, and how talent acquisition drives the employee experience and can increase retention and much more. Seb, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Honored to be here. Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you on today to talk not only about your really interesting career path to HR, but just your view of healthcare and how that's changing and how it could be for the better, not only for caregivers, for patients. So really excited to dive into this important topic. And so I really wanted to start off just asking you, you've got this unique career path. In fact, didn't actually make the jump into HR until you're almost 15 years into your career, which would make you a late bloomer. However, <laughs> tell us more about your career and how you made that switch to HR and, and why you made that switch. Oh my gosh, it's fascinating. It's the first time I've been called a late bloomer. So I, I appreciate that. And, and you're right. So for the first 15 years of my career, I, I was uh, in professional services uh, and I was an operation executive. I was working for the number one HR service provider in the world, which is Bronstad. So I was always close to HR, uh, but my specialty was operation. And of course, it was a for-profit professional services organization. And there's no other way to say it than I had a midlife crisis. And I think people go through midlife crisis in, in different ways, right? Some get new cars or get through major life events. I, I changed my career. And the question I was asking myself is, how, how can I give back? What can I do with my talent that's going to have an impact on, on 
on people and communities and the underserved. So in that train of thought really took me, when you think that way, what is the best industry to do so? Well, it's healthcare, right? And even more non-for-profit healthcare because it's direct impact on people's life and communities. And, and if it's non-for-profit, it's direct impact on people that are underserved. And then uh, if truly wanted me to make a difference on, on people, um, well, then the people division, right? Which is basically HR. So I did went from a for-profit professional services operation executive into a healthcare non-for-profit HR professional. So, and that was the best decision I've made in my life. Well, well maybe, not- maybe the second best because I married my wife would not be happy. So, so one of the best. Good, good save there, Seb. I think that's an important, important distinction for sure. And it sounds like you were really thoughtful in that mid-your-life crisis, if you will, saying, gosh, I want to do something different. Well, how did you actually find the healthcare HR rule? Because a lot of people may want to make a switch of careers, but it's not that easy sometimes to get those opportunities. So talk about how you kind of opened those doors and made that happen. Yes. So, so there's a statistic that says 94% of the people that find a job is through networking either directly or indirectly. And, and this is true for everything. So I was just talking to people. So when I was going through my existential crisis, it's just a matter of talking with exec that are in different industry that has different opinion, different point of view, asking them how they perceive you, asking them how you could maximize your talent, asking them about their industry, like healthcare, for example. For many, that sounds very glamorous. For the people that work in healthcare, it's not always that glamorous, especially in HR. So it's just, it's just talk with people and ask them questions, be open-minded, listen with the intent to learn, and that's going to direct you to the right place. Wow, that's incredible. So you really networked your way in and found healthcare as that niche. So congratulations for you. Any advice when you were calling and reaching out to folks? Was it, were you being strategic and trying to find people who are in healthcare and using your network to find other people in healthcare or HR jobs? No, so, so so networking can be scary, right? And it's one of those, it's just a matter of doing it. It's a matter of talking with the people. And the best way to net, network, which in HR is, is, is should be a skills that come easily, is just to ask them questions. Just be interested in them. And by being interested in people, you're going to learn so much and you can translate it into what it means for you. So what I call networking is, in fact, just attending either event with professionals or, in, in my case, my existential crisis was while doing um, a, a graduate degree. So it was talking with some of my classmates that were mid-career executive and just to learn about their career path and how they go through things. And by my interest in them, they ended up enlightening me without knowing it. That is a great strategy, though, to not only build relationships, it's just to be interested in people, but ask those questions because most people really want to tell their story. They want to be helpful. They want to give that advice. I think that's, that's excellent. Well, talk about how has your non-HR career helped you coming from an operations background? How has it helped you be a more effective CHRO? How have you pulled that into the, the C-suite? Oh, that's such a, that's sort of a great question. And, and of course, I think it's a competitive advantage. Now, I like to say I'm probably the least HR person in HR that you're going to ever meet. And there's pros and cons to that. But I'm going to focus on the pros. So, so in the end, HR supports operation, right? We are here to enable operation, to be able to grow the organization, support our patients, support our communities, et cetera. And I gain so much by speaking the same language and operation. It makes such a difference to speak the, ling- the language, but also 
understanding the motivation of operation, which once in a while can feel like conflicting with what the people division is trying to accomplish. But just to understand where they're truly coming from, because I lived it for 15 years, makes such a, a, a difference. Understanding the urgency, right? The timeline and the urgency from operation or from HR can once in a while be, again, conflicting, but understanding the, the urgency make a difference. And, and where it really, really helped me is the capacity to build either business case or even return on investment report, where if I'm trying to move something forward, to be able to present it in a way that is digestible by operation, talking their language, really enable um, the decision making. And so I have a strong batting average, not because I'm better than anybody, because the plan that is being submitted is talking the same language than the people reading the plan. Right. So that makes it easier to get things moving forward. And then for relationship, right, talking the same language or having some of the same innuendo make a difference and it helped building relationship. And, and in the case of healthcare, if nursing and HR work closely together, we'll do miracle. If operation and HR is working closely to re- together, we'll do miracle. And if physician operation and HR are connected, we'll do miracle. So it's been extremely helpful. It definitely sounds like that. And I think having that business background or the business mindset is important. Maybe talk a little bit about how someone who is in HR can build that operations mindset that you've had. What are one or two tips you think they should be bringing to the table to up their game there? To the point concise. That's the first thing I will say. Uh, All linked to impact. That can be people impact, financial impact, uh, et cetera, with return on investment. So a full 360 analysis of here's what we're trying to accomplish. What is the problem we're trying to fix? Here's a solution. Here's the cost. Is the return? Here's the impact. And if it's done in a very concise way, um, normally this is where I feel I'm, I'm. I'll be able to connect with some of my colleagues. So that's really impactful around understanding the business, being concise. You know, getting to the point. I think that's so important. Let's talk a little bit more about the economic trends now in healthcare and just the implications. It's such a dynamic industry. It impacts all of us. What are some of the macro trends you believe are impacting the industry and how it impacts caregivers and patients? I I love this question. I I really believe the the difference between good and great is the capacity to assess the future trend and translate it into action today to be able to proactively address them. To me, me, this is a huge difference. Um, You can hear uh, I I have an accent. I'm Canadian. Nobody's perfect. I'm also American, so I have the best of both worlds. As a Canadian, I have to love Aki. And one of my favorite quotes of all time is from Wayne Gretzky. And, and the question was to Wayne, and Wayne is arguably the best hockey player of all time. The question was, what made you the greatest of all time? And his answer was, I never skate where the puck is. I always skate where the puck is going to be. So Wayne was predicting the trajectory of the puck, and this is where he was positioning himself. And more often than not, he ended up being right, which made him the greatest of all time. And I think in healthcare, and in HR, our capacity to do the same thing is a huge determinant of success. So here's the trends that I pay very close attention to. I dislike the word great resignation with everything I have. Uh, it is true. Uh, this is the most turnover that is happening every single month, so over $4 million a month. This is the most turnover the U.S. ever felt uh, in their history. But great resignation implied that this is an era, that this is a period of time. I don't think it's right. I think we are in a generational shift. And that if we don't adapt to the generational shift, we're going to be in big trouble. Now, mix that with a couple other trends. Speed of change. Let's go there. So every organization in the 80s, we're going through one major change every decade. And a major change can be an acquisition, an economic crisis, 
rebranding, change of product, et cetera. So one a decade. In the 90s, it was twice a decade. In the 2000s, 2010, it was about three times a decade. Currently, it's three times a year. So if we follow the same trajectory, by 2026, 2027, 27, it will be five, six times a year. So the speed of change is not going anywhere. So we're in a generational shift. Speed of change is, is increasing. If we look into the birth rate, there's uh, 50% more boomer retiring than there's Gen Z uh, or millennial coming into the employment market. But now the people leaving has knowledge and productivity, right? So if we just look at the productivity, that 50% almost counts for two. So there's an equivalence of two people leaving for one coming in. That's not going anywhere, right? The birth rates are not, are not increasing. Unemployment rate, we're at the lowest since the 60s. So it's been 60 years uh, that we've not been as low as 3.5% and below. In the US, you're considered fully employed at 4%. So currently, statistically, everybody has a job in the US. And now if you make that unemployment rate for clinical position, you cut it in half. So nursing right now is around 1.7%. So again, if we're at 4%, if 4% is fully employed and we're at 1.7%, and this is the lowest in 60 years. So chances are that that 99% of your leaders were not leaders in the 60. So chances are your leaders are all going through the situation for the first time in their life. So they don't know how to address that situation. And again, not going anywhere because normally when there's an economic crisis, unemployment rate go up. This time, for the first time in the history, when it was a bear market in the fall of 2022 and the, the winter of 2023, the unemployment rate went down. So this is not going anywhere. And then let me make it even worse. Uh, if you talk to the Gen Z and you say, and you ask a question, do, do, do you intend to enter the workforce or would you do something different? 41% say, sure, we'll enter the workforce, but we'll do it by creating our own company. And it's going to be on our own ground, at our own time, in our own contract, not on your payroll. So I, I said a lot, but the great resignation is not anywhere to go. There's two boomers leaving for one coming in. The birth rate is not going to fix that. We're at the lowest unemployment rate, and it's not going anywhere, right? So it's going to get worse. And 41% of the workforce that want to come in doesn't even want to be on our payroll. So those are the trends that I would say we all need to pay very close attention and start acting right away. Well, I love how clearly you laid that out for us, Seb. And I think it's interesting because some of those trends go across healthcare, they go across just working conditions and population across the U.S., but a lot of those are specific to healthcare. And we are really living through some really interesting times, to your point, around unemployment, the generational shifts, and the speed of change. Technology is rapidly changing. How is this playing out in the healthcare industry specifically, and, and where are you tackling this? Because there's a lot to tackle. In, in my opinion, there's four way to wins, and we have to tackle the four of them all at the same front at the same time. So the first one is, how do we increase productivity? So if there's less people coming into the workforce and everybody has a job, we got to find a way to get more productivity out of the people. And you touched on it, right? Some of it is, can it be technology. The other one can be process improvement. I, I was reading an article uh, that was saying, and that, that came from the advisory board, that a nurse touch a patient about 25% of their time. So the other 75% is either red tape, right? So administrative work that is extremely necessary for quality of care or going to, to the pharmacy or, or lab or et cetera. So 
how great would it be that somebody find a solution that a nurse touch a patient 50% of the time? You don't need one more person. You just need the person you have. So that means looking into processing technology. And then I go to the second one, which means thinking differently and adapt. Is the willingness that to acknowledge that what was working yesterday might not work tomorrow and then potentially be disruptive. So in this case is how can we challenge ourselves to have a nurse touch a patient 50% of the time instead of 25% of the time? Is all the activity of the nurse, is this individual operating at the top of their license? Or could it be somebody else that has a different license or, or skill set, right? So can it be a nurse assistant that do this level of task to be able to provide more time to the nurse? I'm giving that as an example. Now, number three, and, and we, we all need to embrace this and forces, re- retention is the only way to win. And the only way to do retention is through engagement and experience. It's so hard in a market that virtually everybody has a job. It's so hard to bring them in that we have to do everything we can to keep them, right? So this retention mindset. And then there is talent acquisition. Now, talent acquisition is having a lot of obstacles, right? They're stepping up to the plate to strike at at the exact same time. Talent acquisition needs to be perfect every single time. Sadly, this is the only way to win uh, is is to be perfect. Now, the last one, and it's, it's maybe more in the mindset of our leaders, it's okay to be scared of all those trends. It's okay to be scared into looking differently into technology and process and adapting or doing things disrupt the way we were doing things in the past. What's going to make us make an organization fail is if we resist. Being scared is okay. Resisting, that's, where, that's what's going to make companies go behind. So you talk about obviously increasing productivity, thinking about processes differently to really maximize the human talent you have, especially in healthcare where every nurse has a job and can get a job so easily. The ability to adapt, learn and change and grow, it makes a lot of sense. And then obviously retaining those people so you have less hires to make, less talent to bring in. But the last piece around fear or not almost acknowledging some of the reality of what's happening. How do you have a culture that's really embracing all those key factors, right? Being fearless and, and, and experimenting, thinking about productivity in a new way, you know, retaining employees with new methodologies. Any lessons around culture that you want to share? Yes, and, and, and it's one of those. That if we are all aligned that the most valuable resources that any organization have is people. And if we are all aligned how hard it is to, to attract best people to come partner with your organization and then to retain them, if this is the basic of all the leadership in our organization, then impacting culture is going to be much easier. So if there's this alignment and understanding of the landscape, then we're all rowing in the same direction, right? We're all going into the same direction. And then I would say it's, it's to make an evolution from engagement to experience. Because there's a big difference between both, and not every organization made that journey yet. So that evolution to experience is probably the best way to to retain people uh, and and help the culture move forward. Really helpful advice on that piece. Culture is such an important element of how any organization, but even healthcare organizations, can change and adapt. Part of that culture that comes though focusing on that employee caregiver experience. Can you tell us why this is so important to you and just what do you? What does that mean when I say employee or caregiver experience for you and your organization? Yes, and I want to talk maybe of the difference between engagement and experience because 
I can be engaged and have an awful experience, or I can be disengaged and have an amazing experience. But what will keep the individual uh, with an organization is the experience, not the engagement. So a, a quote that has been used so many times, but explained it in, in, in such clear way is my Angelou, right? People forget what you tell them, they never forget how you make them feel. And that's the difference between engagement and experience. An experience makes me feel, where an engagement is, is a state, right? There is a book, it's a business book called The Experience Economy by Joseph Stein Sagan and James Gilmore. It's also a business case for the uh, Harvard Business Review that I highly recommend. And it's basically, it's talking about consumer but if you use that mindset with employees, that's going to make you be a step ahead. So the whole concept is if I can get the attention of the consumer and keep that intention to us, and the best way to do it is by creating the experience. And with true experience, it creates good emotion. By creating good emotion, people become loyal, right? The consumer become loyal. And you see it, right? If you look at best experience organization, Disney, Apple, Amazon Prime, they have amazing retention of consumer because they're focused on the experience. So now if we translate it into healthcare and HR, if every interaction is based as, how do I want this individual to feel and not do I just want to engage them or not? That is the biggest switch. And if we are focusing on the experience and the feeling and really make it memorable, that's how one organization can be ahead of the game in retaining their employees. Yeah, let's double click on that a little bit, Seb, because I actually love that book and it's, it's, it's been around for a while, but I do think people should take a look and read it. It's such a timeless principle that really is driving a lot of the economy today. We just don't talk about it that way. It was groundbreaking when it came out. But the concept of experience management is thinking about like, how do you want someone to feel? Have you guys or have you seen organizations being building that in to thinking about your employee experience, your caregiver experience? Is that something you guys have tried to do? Oh, definitely. When we coach our leaders or even when we do leadership meeting, et cetera, there's going to be the same level of attention on how we want people to be feeling. So if what we're looking for is connectivity, how do we get into a feeling of, of, of connectivity? Um, if we want to go into a feeling of urgency. So, for example, healthcare is going through financial challenges. Now, we're doing better than most, right? Our organization is in the top five, six percentile in, in, the, organ- in the nation. That doesn't mean that we're not facing some of the challenges that the healthcare industry are facing. So if we want to create urgency is what tone can we use or what frame can we use that's going to create a sentiment of urgency? So there's the same amount of attention to the details, the feeling we want people to come out with than there is to what the words can be used to get there, right? And there's this US, UCLA study uh, that I love that say, basically, if we're looking into what human retain and what human, human feel, uh, 7% come from the words, 93% come from tone of voice, uh, the environment or the body language. So, and that's a mistake that everybody do is organization going to often just focus on the word or leaders are only going to focus on the word, but that's 7% of the grade where the tone, the body language, the setup, the framing, the intentionality of the emotion you want to create is 93% of the grade. So, Well, I love that. It's a great study. And I think the analogy as you were talking and I thought about is where an organization's got their mission or core values on the wall, but they're not living up to it. And everyone says, those are just platitudes, right? Whereas when you're leading with how you want people to really feel or your organization that 
embodies and role models the culture and the values becomes that 93%, right? People are feeling that and the words just sort of enhance it. So I love that you're thinking about that way. You also said, and we talked a little bit about this, I mean, retention is so critical, but a lot of times in healthcare, we're really counting on talent acquisition to save the day. We need to find a nurse, we need to find caregivers in certain markets to help serve patients. But you said TA is stepping up to the plate with two strikes every time in most healthcare organizations. Why'd you say that? What's the solution? Yes. Well, so, so again, I'm going back to the trends, right? So if we're in a fully employed market and there's 1.7% unemployment rate in nursing, which is, which is l- less than 50% in a fully employed market, everybody has a job. And the other thing is, statistically, if there's only 1.7% unemployed, the most qualified nurses have a job. And I'm talking about nurses, but the same can be t- said about the tech. The same can be said about the physician. So, so, so it all come down to perfection, but it also come down to uh, time and experience. So it's always circling back to experience. What makes somebody right now considering a new, um, a, a new job or joining your organization is how did they feel through the talent acquisition process? And it starts from touching the website to the first day of employment. And was it done in a manner that made me feel desired? Did it make me feel that it was, that there was, you absolutely wanted me to come partner with you? And that's very often been translated into time, right? The, the days of, and I was looking into the, the benchmark on days to fills for clinical position, and it's the mid 80s. So how great would it be that that's mid 80s go to 40 or 20 or 10? And this is the best way an organization can really say to people, gosh, we absolutely want you to partner with us. And, and ensuring that every touch point they have with your organization uh, is creating the best experience. So time and experience, there's something about doing the basics right. You know, the, the days of having a resume of a qualified person sitting in a hiring leader queue for seven days, this is over. The day of having a clinical person go through five rounds of interview those days of us are over, but those are the basics, right? So if we don't start right away into adapting the whole process, the reality of the landscape, and then, and then executing on the basic, right, it's not, it's going to work out. And then it's move swiftly and change the whole process to adjust to experience in a way of meeting the candidate where they are, make them feel along the way and do it swiftly so they feel desired. Some really good insights there. And I think about talent acquisition, a lot of times we really put a lot of emphasis on getting to the offer or when they start, right? But when you think about it, most people decide within that first month, and there's research on this and who knows how good that research really is, but we all can kind of common sense determine that in the first 90 days or so, you kind of make a decision, did I make a good choice or not, right? And if you've got a great employee experience, talent acquisition did a great job, but then your hiring manager, you're onboarded properly, you get trained, then you say, yeah, I made a great choice. I want to stay here, right? But if those things are falling down, especially in the healthcare industry, there's options, right? They're like, mm-hmm. well, maybe I'll Definitely. call my old boss and go back. You know, and there's just lots of things you can do. And so I think that's so important. And the other thing you mentioned just around the fact that the world's changed around how we apply for jobs. I think indeed it says that the average person applies for seven to 10 jobs, you know, when they go yes. apply. And so to think that in your queue, that that person's only applied to you and they're waiting for your phone call, those days are so long gone, but a lot of hiring managers hold on to that and believe that's the case. Unfortunately, it probably isn't, right? Especially in healthcare. 
Is there any strategies there around how do you move quickly with your candidates or making sure that a good experience comes through? Anything else you'd offer there? Yeah, we do. We, we have business agreement with our hiring leaders. And that's something that Common Spirit Health here in Colorado, Kansas, Utah is doing actually very well, where there's an expectation if somebody's applying to talent acquisition, there's a conversation with talent acquisition in less than 24 hours. But the second that this conversation is done, there's an interview being scheduled within 24, 48 hours with the hiring leaders. And what we agree is if the person is qualified, their hiring leader gets to them right away, there's that conversation. Within 24 hours, we make a decision, make an offer. Now, it might be a little bit more thorough if we're talking about a leader or an executive, of course, right? So we adjust our process depending if the person is clinical or not, and if they're in leadership position or not. But our, our days to fill for a clinical person right now is in the 10, 15 days. And then, of course, our days to start is closer to 40, 45 days because, because people has job, right? So they need to resign. They need to provide a two weeks or four weeks notice. But 10, 15 days from point of contact to an offer in clinical, but it all comes down to partnership with operation, partnership with nursing. So we are aligned on the experience, moving swiftly, uh, what to do if our, our ringleader is not available for an interview, then what is the escalation? Because it's all about moving fast and making the person feel good in the process. Uh, so we're able to move those offers pretty swiftly. I would say so. that's really fast. And I think speed is so important in this market. Seb, last question for you. What is one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? Oh, can I give you two? All right. I know. I'm not a good rule follower. So I'll go, I'll go with two. Well, uh, let's wait, hang on, because that's your Canadian and American, so you couldn't even do this one <laughs> that's, citizenship. I love it. All right, two, two works right. for I'll, me. I'll give you one for Canada and one for the U.S. Now, so, so the first one, the difference between good and great is the capacity to assess the, the trends that's going to be hitting our way in five years and make strategy and tactical decision now to address those trends. This is number one, right? Skate where the, the puck is going to be, not where the puck is. The second one is the current need of operation for HR is 70% strategic, 30% tactical. What operation is getting right now is 70% tactical, 30% strategic. HR is a strategic function that has to work end to hands with operation, nursing, physicians to advance the whole organization and that on all aspects, not just the people aspect. HR is at the table for financial decisions, stewardship, growth, strategy, et cetera. I love it. So flip the script from transactional to strategic. That's the future of HR. And of course, Canadians, you're going to love this for hockey fans. Let's skate where the puck is. Seb, thank you so much for being on the future of HR. Fascinating conversation. We learned a lot today. That was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Seb for sharing his insights and how to evolve your mindset and approach from employee engagement to employee experience. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. If you enjoyed this episode of Future of HR, be sure to subscribe and share our podcast with at least one other person. This really helps us grow the podcast and helps with our mission of inspiring the next generation of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with Nick Bloom, who's a professor of economics at Stanford University. He has been researching working from home for 20 years and is the go-to expert on the subject. In our conversation, Nick and I will discuss the research in hybrid remote work, how to optimize performance, and his predictions on what work will look like in the future, 
You do not want to miss this episode. Thanks again for listening to Future of HR and being part of our community.